Hello and welcome back to the Down to the Wire podcast. We're back again, second podcast of the week this. We're on fire. Um, Jack, how are you doing? You know, I am better than I was earlier in the week. We, uh, this European Super League is no more and I'm happy for it. Good stuff, good stuff. And we are also joined by Dav. How are you doing, Dav? Hi, lads. Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me on again. Good stuff. That's all right. Thanks for coming back. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about mainly about the uh, European Super League, because obviously that's been the kind of uh, hot topic this week, isn't it? Um, but we're also going to be doing a little bit of a because we haven't done, we haven't talked about football for a little while now. It's mainly yeah. been um, Formula One, isn't it? So we're going to do perhaps a bit of a an update, you know, like what's happening with the top four in the Premier League, um, what's going on with the Championship. Because to be honest with you, the last time we talked about Championship football was when you were your dad. So it's far too long. It's been a far while. too long. To not talk about the championship. Far too long. Um, absolutely, absolutely far too long. Um, so yeah, thought, you know, a lot of football stuff will get our football expert back. <laughs> um, right, okay, should we uh, should we dive straight in? Yeah, let's go for let's it. Let's do that. Cool, good stuff. Um, right, uh, Jack, I don't know whether you want to kind of uh, run us through the premise of uh, what the European Super League was proposing. A 20-team tournament. No, I'm not going to do an X-Factor voice. Uh, <laughs> 20 teams, one tournament. 12 founding members who cannot be relegated. Uh, but no, it's uh, a farcical idea where 20 of the so-called big teams, not based on merit, uh, by the sounds of it, more money than anything, uh, make, a, make a league. Um, 12 founding teams, which can never be relegated, uh, they were looking for three more that couldn't be relegated as well. Then you'd have five teams which join on a yearly basis based on uh, some sort of qualification formula, whether that's uh, winning their domestic league or mm-hmm. just winning some sort of qualification round or whatever. Um, and yeah, it, it does have a format. They did have it sort of a structure to it where the 20 teams would be split into two groups of 10. They'd play the other nine in their group, uh, home and away. The top four teams would qualify for a knockout round, or rather the top three. Uh, fourth and fifth from each would have a two-legged knockout mm. round to get through. And then from there on out, it's like the Champions League from the quarterfinal stage onwards. That is the yeah. uh, proposed European Super League. Mm. I mean, it's kind of similar. Like, when you put it like that, it's a little bit similar to what happens with the NFL in the way there's, like, two split leagues that kind of eventually yeah. merge into one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, with the NFL, you have the kind of seeding system, don't you? Well, I guess that might happen with the quarters. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I, I As a competition, ignoring the... In terms of the structure. Yeah. In terms it, of the structure. Ignoring the relegation element, do you think it's a good idea? <sighs> Uh, in terms of the structure of the tournament, I haven't really got any problems. Would you like to um, see top top divisions have uh, top domestic leagues have uh, playoffs and all that in it? Not play not playoffs to get anywhere, but uh, you know, rather than oof. league titles awarded on points, have it awarded on a, a playoff format. Well, I feel as uh, somebody who is well versed in championship stuff, you know, they, they have a playoff. What are your thoughts, Dav? Well, yeah, they do, but you do have. You still have your winner of the league, like you're yeah, rewarded. You're true. rewarded for the consistency of finishing in that top two mm. over the season, and then, you yeah. know, I suppose there's always the argument that surely third place, um, especially last season, you know, third third place. Well, often actually, third place can have a little bit of a gap on fourth, fifth, and sixth, and you think, oh, on merit, shouldn't they go up? But, you know, that's the kind of mm. way they've decided to 
mm. to do it. It's the same with like the Pro 14 with rugby. Like, yeah, they have a playoff. You can finish shame. at the top of a league, but you still have the the playoffs to decide who wins. And fin- mm. you know, finishing top at the end of the league stage just gives you a home uh, advantage for the semi or whatever. So. Yeah. I think if you well, were doing, if you, you could say, let's have a playoff to decide who gets into, you know, if you wanted to d- decide your top four on 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 um, uh, playoff, then that would be a discussion. But I think it would be harsh to play thirty eight games and go, oh, unlucky, you've still got to play another four games. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, I'd love I, to, to have a... seen Liverpool of last season go into a playoffs so and end oh, up losing it classically don't. on the first game. Don't, don't. <laughs> Don't, don't. Um, yeah, but no, to be honest, Sav, I, I'd agree with you. As in, like, for me, whenever whenever anyone talks about, um, you know, having a league and then putting it into a playoff to, to decide who wins, I always think of the Pro 14 and think, like, whoever finishes first, like, in terms of, like, there's no difference between finishing first and finishing fourth, really, in terms of, you know... Where the likelihood of winning the league? Okay, I guess the argument would be if you finish um, higher up, you probably get the weak. Well, no, you, you get the weaker opposition in the in the playoff round. But as in, you, you, surely the whole point of a league is that over the course of, like you said, whether it's the you know the Pro Fourteen or any football league, over the course of like thirty odd games or whatever, surely the whole point of that is that you decide. Well, over the course of this season, this team deserved to win. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like almost by making it a, um, you know, like a, a playoff round, it almost becomes a bit of a lucky dip, doesn't it? Which is, I guess, is entertaining, but I, I've always felt it's a bit gimmicky. But I guess this is where it kind of gets a little bit, you know, you get into the intricacies, don't you? Because I suppose the way that this all kind of played out, it turned out to be it was European Super League, or Premier League slash Champions League slash La Liga and all the other leagues. Whereas I guess the people who were who were proposing the European Super League were hoping that this competition was going to be in addition to. Mm-hmm. So I guess at that point then, when you're having like a bit of a league system into a knockout thing, it's not just a league, if that makes sense. It, it kind of falls more under the category of a knockout tournament like the Champions League does. Um, and I guess then at that point... I don't know. I'm 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 a little bit jury's out on that. That's fair enough. Well, do you not think though the element of a a playoff system in any league sort of uh, equalizes out in a sense? But what I mean is Man City and Liverpool. You know, not this year, but the years prior, maybe not even last year actually. The years prior to mm. that, they, it was like knife edge. You know, it'd be coming down mm. to two points, and you're like, okay on the balance of the consistency throughout a whole season, yes, that team deserves to win. But mm. being as seasons are so long and mm. things like injuries or rogue decisions, I mean, we saw Cardiff City get relegated from the Premier League on a rogue decision uh, when mm. Asbel Cueto was offside against Chelsea and clearly offside and mm. still was allowed to score a goal. Um, but you see these like decisions and they go all left, you know, they could go either way. They can really decide a title because of how close mm. the margins are. Do you not think the idea of a playoff sort of negate that? And it's kind of like, okay, maybe these things happen here or there, but let's mm. get down to the nitty gritty. Prove it in a sense. You've, in a sense, you can you you get a load of benefits anyway if you 
qualify first for this sort of mm. playoff format. But that's that's uh, what you want all get, the uh, cup finalists for, though, isn't it? Like that's an FA Cup final you've just described. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's and good. I guess my my argument would be I get what you're saying, but you know, like you've said, oh, like when it was close between Liverpool and City, but like last year. Are you seriously telling me that, like, at the end of this... And I know I'm probably biased because I'm a Liverpool fan. But are you seriously telling me that at the end of last season, you would then go into a playoff and to, say, oh, well... To li- say to Liverpool, oh, you've got to prove yourself yeah, now, despite to, to be the fair, fact that... In that scenario, I probably wouldn't want... You wouldn't want to see a playoff. It's the same way when the Patriots lost the Super Bowl to the New York Giants uh, back mm. in... Well, I can't remember when. But they went undefeated that season, 16-0. Only, I think the Miami Dolphins had done that, and mm-hmm. that was like you know forty years before that. So you just don't see very many teams go sixteen and zero in the NFL. No, and they did that, and they get all the way to Super Bowl final, or Super Bowl, final, Super Bowl, um, and they lose. And it's like, mm. oh, that's, that's a killer. And you feel like you know everyone knows that, that Patriots team was one of the greatest of all times because they did sixteen and zero. But if you haven't got mm. the mustard when it comes to the crunch game, you know it just adds that extra flavor that everybody mm. likes. I, I do think the NFL is slightly different, though, than just... so. And I guess this is what I'm saying. For the European Super League, there's the potential that I think having a playoff at the end works because you've got two separate leagues merging into one. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the NFL. You've got you've got the NFC and you've got the NF, uh, the AFC um, merging into one. So you basically get... You get a winner of each league and then you get, you, you know, basically those winners play each other to decide who's the winner out of everyone. Whereas I feel like in the Premier League, they're all in one table anyway. They've all played each other twice. I feel like by the end of the season, with all of the information that you have, like points, goal difference, all of that sort of stuff, to then go, right, now we're going to put it into a playoff, I, I, I feel is a little bit gimmicky, to be honest. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Because what you've just no. described there, like the whole issue, the reason we like have the Champions League is because... Back in the day, you lit, I think it's right to say there was only like one English representative in the European Cup. Yeah, it would just be yeah, the yeah. winners of each yeah, league yeah. rather than so, multiple teams. Therefore, we could say back in the day you had the European Super League because you genuinely just had the best team in every nation thrash, thrashing mm. it out. But there were, you know, complaints were made and people were unhappy because, you know, that was limited and whatever. So, you know, they, in a more civilized fashion compared to this time round it's people sat around a table and said so how shall we work this out so then you had four english teams four spanish teams four german teams and four italians two french you you know they they worked out some kind of formula didn't they with their co- mm-hmm. coefficients and all of that to kind of spread it out mm. um so you know what we're essentially saying is let's go back to the 70s <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just just a quick word on UEFA coefficients. Do you think that's just a a sneaky ploy by the the teams in, say, the Premier League and the Spanish league to say, hey, we want even more teams in there? In a sense, your league is that much. You know what I mean? Your teams are that far behind ours. You know, nobody wants to watch Mitchelland. It's like you guys are that much lower. We want Leicester City Mm. in. We want Wolves in. In a sense, rather because. It, it's better for them. Do you think the UEFA coefficient is sort of a, you know, a low grade? No one's it's sort of going under the radar that it's a bit of a elitist um, club thing. May, maybe a little bit. I mean, but 
I don't know. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I suppose you've got to have a balance between... Because, like, throughout this whole Super League saga, the, the the kind of rhetoric from all sides was, oh, but, you know, every team can dream. And it's like, that's a fair point. You know, as in, like, for example, you think a couple of years ago when... It was the year after they won the league and Leicester got to the quarters, I think. And they yeah. lost to Atletico, didn't they? You know, isn't... Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, they, they had a, a European run. I guess, like, that sort of circumstance. You're like, oh, you know, fans can dream, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, how far do you take that? As in... And I guess this is where the kind of coefficient comes in. Because on, on that basis, you're going to have much lower quality in there just to satisfy the kind of lower people. Be like, oh, but you can still win it if you're lucky. Mm. Um... So it's it's a bit of a tricky one, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I do get what you're saying, though. Um, you probably also yeah, need a master's degree in mathematics and a postgraduate in sports science to uh, understand how it works. <laughs> anyway, to be honest, so yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah, anybody truly understands jargon. how it works. We just go, oh right, yeah, okay, no. the coefficient, thanks. Mm. <laughs> It's like, yeah. yes, I'm top 20. It's like, what's it based on? Not a clue. But top 10. <laughs> here, here we go. Here we go. Shall we but move on good. to the main elements of the European Super League? Yes. Let's do go that. For it. So, the first point I sort of wanted to bring up was why don't fans want to see big clubs playing other big clubs every week? Well, I think um, it's interesting. Like, they obviously don't want it, do they? Like, 89% no. I saw on a BBC poll were against it. I, saw, I voted. I voted in that. I was part of the 89. There was Then there was a YouGov poll. 68% were against it, but only 14% were for it. We saw those protests outside Stamford Bridge the other night. So fans obviously don't want it, do they? Which is, which is in... Mm. I think that's... I think a big element of that is to do with the, the competitiveness of you know, what you can do, what you can't do. And philosophically, mm. I put this to you, gents. If all games are big <laughs> games, well, then no games are big games, are they? Uh, well, I mean, I guess this is part of the dilemma, isn't it? Um, and, you know, I guess, perhaps I'm being a little bit snobbish here, but I feel like the in terms of when you look at the teams that have joined, or, sorry, ha- did join, because it's basically done now, um, the Super League, I'd ima- the English teams probably had the least to gain when you look at competitiveness of leagues. Yeah. As in, yeah, yeah. you know, as in like for, for for the Spanish teams, as in like you look at it and you kind of go, well, I guess for those teams, you look at it and go, well, the rest of them below them aren't really that competitive. Whereas, you know, and I know it is a bit of a cliche, but the Premier League does have that kind of anyone can be anyone vibe. Um, and like, you know, for example, I think the thing that's like stuck in my head is like if you have a European Super League, what happened with Leicester doesn't happen. For, for well, me, it, no, it just doesn't. Yeah, it's the same with West Ham this season, isn't it? Like Klopp said that the other day. Yeah, exactly. You know, West Ham were in fourth place, and the neutral in the country is going, "Ah, oh, West Ham." It'd be like you know, back in the day, in the sixties and the seventies, when yeah. West Ham were were like winning leagues. You know, we could have West mm. Ham in Europe. Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be great seeing them draw mm. Barca or yeah, PSG? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you just you just yeah. wouldn't have that, and I think that's what's got to um, people so much. You wouldn't, in mm. the sense that you know, to see those teams beat all of the big teams that are in those divisions. But if you let those six teams dissipate and go into a different league or whatever, then don't you think then you get that sort of 
sentimentality of, oh, you know what, this is quite cool. We're seeing teams like West Ham genuinely win the league or, you know, even teams like Leeds. Leeds are at the top of the mm. league or whatever. Do you not think by getting rid of those six, it sort of maybe balances out a touch? No, because I think those teams, like, you know, in we might come on to it later, the whole discussions about what you do with those six teams now that have tried to break away. The chairman of yeah. Aston Villa said, like, you can't, you can't do without them, really. Like, they are that big. They want to be playing the big teams. You want mm. to be competing against teams that are fully rooted in, in a long history. Mm. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think part of it as well. I mean, you know, as in, uh, you know, I'm a Liverpool fan. Jack, you're a United fan. Um, I, I, th- I do think there's an element of like for a lot of the fans who support, you know, like Liverpool fans from Liverpool, f- from sorry, from Liverpool. Manchester United fans from Manchester, City fans from Manchester, and so on. I don't know what it is, but I think by playing, and I guess what you got to remember here is, is that it became initially the suggestion was Super League in addition to League and Champions League. It eventually became European Super League or the others. So I think that's what you got to remember here. So when the situation became it's the European Super League and that's it like a lot of those fans are thinking well hang on they're becoming kind of franchises of okay they're based in London but as in they're playing half of their games on another on another continent like not continent in, in another country on another landmass you know it's, it, it's not really I don't know I feel like by becoming this sort of like massive franchise business style model you kind of lose that kind of uh between the fans it becomes a bit of a, a divide between club and fans then i guess like it doesn't feel like a personal club anymore i don't know whether that's, that's... a bit over dramatic no i do see what you mean in a sense of by playing all of these games against teams from other nations you barely see them play in your own nation especially when mm. you consider most man united fans don't live in manchester you know what i mean <laughs> every time you united, yeah. united have a away game it's a home game because half their <clears throat> fans get to go watch their team for the one time of the year mm. um well, the same could be said for most other big teams in the premier league um mm. so yeah I, I do see the i do see what you do see your point there yeah mm. I guess I guess what I mean is by having that sort of model, it kind of dilutes the whole, you know, it's like Our when, team, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it's like when uh, the whole MK Dons Wimbledon thing, isn't it? Is in like Wimbledon, the club moved to oh, I can't remember where it is now, but you know they Milton moved Keynes, to wherever it is. MK. Yeah, there you go. Makes sense. They moved to Milton Keynes, and okay, technically it's the same club, but as in they've diluted by basically they've become this kind of franchise. So it's not really the same. Um, that that's how I I think I would feel anyway if I were a Liverpool fan from Liverpool. Um, that makes sense. I get what you mean? Yeah. May I pose a sort of scenario for you? Go on. At present, four teams from the Premier League qualify for thirty-two team Champions League competition. In the Champions League, you have a group stage. At most, you can be drawn with one other good team. You take Liverpool, for yeah. instance. They were drawn against Atalanta, Ajax and FC Michelin. They won their group. They play RB Leipzig, who finished second in their group. 
they win both of their legs uh, against them. They go through the mm-hmm. to the round of sixteen. They play Real Madrid. They lose. Oh no, they lose one. They drew the other. Uh, they get knocked out. Uh, in total, they've played ten games of Champions League football, uh, of which you could only really say two of them were games which are worthy of Champions League status in a sense. The, the sort of mm. the sort which draws a big audience in. Do you not think? There needs to be some sort of middle ground where perhaps either you you got to find a way of playing more teams that you want to play in a sense. Like you, mm. you, when you're playing teams like Michelin and Atalanta, do you not think there's a little bit of a Champions League is losing its aura? Well, you've gone with the example of Liverpool, so we'll run with that. Um, mm-hmm. I'll put like two things. One, in as far as the audience is concerned, it's very hard to have an audience when it's behind a paywall. Um, I remember reading. That's a good point. I remember. I haven't watched Champions League in a long yeah, time. Yeah, so you know, you growing up, it would be on ITV. Hasn't been on ITV in years, so you've got to seek it out on on BT. I I, rem, I remember reading maybe oh yeah two years ago. So that game when Liverpool beat Barca for like four mm. 0 they turned it round at Anfield. I read afterwards, despite like the magnitude of that game and the quality of football on show, there was more people in the UK who watched like England play Bulgaria in some qualifier wow there was like 6 7 million people watched that just because it was on free to air whereas i think maybe a million people watched that game so That's crazy. i, I, so I that... heard similar stats about the premier league cuz bbc got uh, a game or two during the project restart and i remember them yeah, saying yeah. they were the most watched premier league games yeah, since yeah. its inception so you know you really you've got to take that into account but then secondly as someone who has a an inside track on um, plenty of things liverpool um through family it's really int- it, <laughs> like in choosing that maybe you've chosen the wrong example but i don't think there are Liverpool fans who would say that any there's something about the Champions League, there's something about European games, and it's almost as if um, that there's something different about an atmosphere on Tuesday night and Wednesday night in the Champions League. Admittedly, this season with Atalanta and Ajax, we've not seen that because we've had stadiums mm. closed. But you go to Anfield, you're on your feet for 90 minutes, and it doesn't mm. matter who you're playing. Because you're there to you're there yeah. you're there to watch your team play, mm. so you can be playing Ajax or Leipzig or Atalanta. Mm. Yeah. You haven't gone to watch them. You've gone to watch your team, and because you support your team, mm. every minute is meaningful. Not just the game against Real Madrid. Mm. Um, so you know, yeah. if you're some neutral who's sitting at home and you and you're asking the question, who do they want to watch? Yeah, okay, they might not yeah, choose to. They might fair, not yeah. choose to watch Liverpool play Michelin but does the the local supporter in Liverpool want to go and watch that game yeah he will because this is club yeah and I mean I guess the the thing I'd say as well is I agree with you is when you look at that group it's not exactly a group you go whoa look at those fixtures even as a Liverpool fan um but as in I guess like Dav said you know like obviously I've not uh seen Liverpool in the Champions League this season but as in, as a Liverpool fan, I don't think I'm any less interested in those games because of who we're playing. And I think it's also worth noting, for every season... Well, you know, for a season where you get a group like that, like the season where Liverpool won the Champions League... What was it last year? I can't remember. We had, like, PSG and Napoli in our group. Yeah, so you, know, you always get one group of death, but the, by and large you will usually hmm, only have but, one team. 
but but I guess what I'm saying is, is in like even in most groups, you normally have at least two good teams, don't you? Whereas like I feel like that group is in you've got Atalanta, Ajax, and Midland. You know, is in like I remember for years, like it would be Dortmund and Real Madrid in the same group, and Bayern Munich and Arsenal in the same group. Oh yeah, that's um, a classic. <laughs> City and City and Juve in the same group. I remember that happened a few years in a row. So I can I I do appreciate what you're saying, but I think what Dav said is. I think for the neutral, it doesn't appeal. But as in, I think for the fans of the club, I don't think... And it's like I've said, I think it's more the occasion of the Champions League rather than necessarily the fixtures themselves that make it so exciting. Yeah, and I don't think you want to be demeaning to like these other clubs. Like, Atalanta beat Juventus on the weekend. Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, yeah, Atalanta yeah. were Champions League semi-finalists last yeah, year. Yeah, well, well, and Ajax yeah, were exactly. the year before that. So there isn't... Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, a complete. It's not yeah, a complete it, write-off of a group. And to be fair to no, to no, Michelin, no, no, it's looking at it from different perspectives, isn't it? Like for them to have a European night out at Anfield, you know, That's huge, you, yeah. yeah, they they enjoy that experience. They learn from that experience. They go and have a have a good go at them. I think they do with Liverpool in the their home game, didn't they? Even though it was a bit of a dead rubber, like mm. you know, it's. It's not just... I think that's one of the difficulties with what was proposed. It's like, what works for Liverpool? What makes, as far as the owners were concerned, what makes us money? How might this appeal to the neutral? How can we reach more fans? But, like, I'm sure the guys at Michelin were probably very, very happy with uh, this year's yeah, Champions they, League draw, yeah. you know? So you've got to take all that into account as well. Mm. Wait, just on another one, is... is is the Champions League for the fans of the teams that are playing or is it for the neutral? Because if it is for the neutral, is it for the neutral, firstly? Because if it is, these, you know what I mean? In a sense, these games, they're a bit meh. <laughs> it's like, it's great that it's good for FC Michelin, but the same way it's great when Newport County draws Spurs. It's it's great for Newport, and but is it really great for the, the competition as a whole? Well, it's, do you say tomato or tomato, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. think it's I think you know. It just depends on. It's but it's but it is it is both and because if you say it's not for the fans, well then football's done. But obviously, you yeah. would like from the TV's perspective, they do want neutrals and people who just like football generally to watch. Mm. So I, I guess both, this I is think. where the, the the yeah, and I mean I guess this is where the European Super League kind of dropped the ball a bit, I guess, didn't they? Like, the the term legacy fans was thrown around. And it's almost like they made a decision in order to try and gain as many new fans as possible, but didn't consider how the current fans felt. Um, so it's like you say, and I think you can make... You could make a tournament that's perhaps more appealing to, you know, the neutral by having the best teams play the best teams all the time. But as in, I think, you know... For, for, and I guess to a certain extent that would be good. I I do agree with what Dad said. You know, as in like if they're all big games or any of them big games, and you know, like for a team like Midland, and again, like you know, I I think back to like I said earlier, Leicester in the Champions League is in the yeah. I don't know. I I I think I get what you're saying, but I know I'm playing devil's advocate a lot of the time. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I feel like somebody has to. It? Be on that side of the ballpark. Somebody's <laughs> somebody's got to see the Hornets next day. <laughs> Moving on to the sort of next point I've brought up. The domestic leagues in their current formats and how, how they've sort of evolved over the many years of their existence. 
at present, we've got Juventus, who have won nine in a row. They are going to probably... Mm-hmm. Well, I think they have lost their domestic league this year, but nine in a row. Bayern are on eight in a row. PSG have won eight of the last nine, and well, probably make eight of the last nine. Um, mm-hmm. The Spanish league has been won by either Madrid or Barca every year since 2013-14. And before that, you have to go back to 2003-2004, when Valencia won it. Um, it's about once in a decade that you see a team that doesn't usually dominate win these domestic leagues. You think mm-hmm. of teams like Monaco when they beat uh, beat PSG to it a few years ago, Marseille before them, Leicester in the Premier League. Atletico was that team which was sort of in the middle of that Barca-Real dominance. Um, you can even look at some of the less, what so uh, quote-unquote major domestic leagues, non-big five leagues. Um, mm. You go to Holland in the Eredivisie, it's been Ajax or PSV uh, every year for the last 20 bar three and you go to the Portuguese league it's been Porto or Benfica every year since 2002 do you not think mm. there's a sort of inherent issue with domestic leagues and having teams which are over dominant in them or do you think that that is a part of the game and every league's going to have somebody dominant in it and it's just life in football mm. I mean I think naturally you're going to have teams that are stronger than others, aren't they? Just because, you know, success breeds success. Um, However, I do agree with you that when you get into the point where you're having a team win nine in a row, eight in a row, um, it it does, I guess you've got to start looking and going, right, what what does the league need to do to kind of make it more competitive? And I guess this is where the Premier League kind of stands out from the rest, you know, as in when you look at the winners, it, okay, it, it does generally seem to be the top sides, you know, the top six, but as in, I, you know, like Liverpool won it last season, City won it two, the previous two before that, then I think it was Chelsea, then it was Leicester, you know, as in, like, it's never... Yeah, you're right, you're right, Jack. I, I saw a stat that only that Man City example you've just given, only once, mm. only once since the 2009-10 season has a team won the Premier League consecutively. So, you know, in yeah. the last 10 years, you had five different winners of the Premier League and only once has, has it been back-to-back. Well, you know, like, mm. that's that's a quarter of the league I've got a chance at the start of the season kind of thing. Like, mm. that's pretty good, isn't it, as, as football leagues mm. go? Because, you know... Yeah, the, not everyone. I would definitely not everyone say the Premier League's one of the it? best for it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, I guess there's an element as well as in you can't. I, I think you're never going to have a league where every team has a completely equal chance of winning. I don't think that exists. So I think no, but do you not think there's I, such an imbalance at this stage where you're getting teams winning it? this many times. I mean, I've got the yes, quote I... sort of later on in uh, my notes, mm. but Nadal's won 13 of 16 French Opens he's been at. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. But when you go to the uh, these domestic leagues, especially when you see the imbalance in some of them in terms of mm. the resources they have, do you not think there's structurally something wrong which needs to change mm. in them? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what I'm saying. Is in, I'm not saying the Premier League has got it spot on, but it, clearly the Premier League are doing something that the others don't. Mm. Um, you know, I, th- I think the the distribution of finances is, is a big thing. Is and you know, even the teams that are kind of mid to to bottom of the Premier League table can still make you know significant big money signings. You know, obviously not to the extent of you you, you know Liverpool, United, City, Chelsea, etc. But as in 
they, they can still compete. Um, yeah, I think though we've but, we've got but, to be careful that we don't like isolate this like in the exact moment we're living in. So Juventus actually didn't win the Serie A from two thousand and two to two thousand and eleven. So if we were having this discussion ten years ago, it's conceivable we could have been saying, "Oh, Juventus, like are they? Re- you know, maybe they're past their best actually." But then from like two thousand and fourteen yeah. on, they hit. They hit. You know, just year after year, it didn't help that the Milan clubs started to struggle um, with that. Mm. I mean, you've got to think, haven't you? Like, if you were having this conversation twenty years ago, Man City or Chelsea wouldn't have been involved in this discussion. Spurs yeah, probably wouldn't have been. We'd have been talking about Newcastle United playing and Blackburn Blackburn playing Barcelona and Real Madrid. So, yeah, I I agree. I do agree what you say, Jack, in regards to other leagues. And, you know, there there needs to be maybe a better distribution of TV money and sponsorship and all of that. But... But mm. I do think it's interesting that in one of those examples you gave with Bayern, obviously, like they, apart from Dortmund giving them a run a couple of years ago, they've dominated the Bundesliga. Yet they obviously don't have a problem. Like they were not involved with any ESL discussions in any way. Mm. Um, mm. I mean, you, you and know, to be fair, that's probably one of the best leagues for distributing wealth as well. I think after the Premier League there seems to be a much more balance. You've got at least mm. seven or eight teams competing for Champions League and some, you know, a few of them given a pop at Bayern every year at least. But yeah, continue, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it is a fair p- point. And I mean, you know, that comes on to something that maybe we'll touch on later about the way that clubs are owned and the mm. future of what things look like. They've got a different structure up there, haven't they, where it's 51% fan mm. ownership. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so is that a coincidence? Probably not. Hmm. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it is a valid point you say about the, um, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of look at the recent success, you know, as in really in the grand scheme of things, nine nine years isn't a long time in the lifespan of a football club, is it, or, or a league for that matter. Um, I mean, I do feel like there's been a bit of a, you know, in the last sort of, 20 years that you know the, the boom in terms of finance and sponsorship and fees from money does seem to have kind of exploded i mean particularly in the premier league when you look at the sort of money that the, the clubs get now through uh you know um like the tv packages and stuff is just bonkers um but yeah i, I don't know i mean like like you said as well jack as in like it looks like that run for juve is gonna is gonna end this year um you know, could could that be? You know, as in, could Juve not win it for another two or three years? Um, you know, and and I guess you've got to look at it and go, well, is it a case that they need to make the league more competitive, or is it just a case that Juventus really are that good that they can win it nine times in a row, and Bayern Munich are that good that they they are deserving of winning it eight times in a row? Scooper, fair point, fair point. We, we, we've uh, we spoken on money then. We sort of brought that into the conversation. So it's mm, yeah. sort of just quite nicely move us on to the next sort of point I've got in here. Um, we're good at this podcast, Malark, aren't we? We, we spoke, <laughs> well, you spoke about new money coming into the, particularly into the Premier League when Sky popped around and said, hey, we'll give you a ton of money for the Premier League rights uh, back in 1992 or whatever. Do you think that sort of, 
up to that point, it was quite even. To be fair, I don't know much about what happens before 1992 because I wasn't born until 1997. They got five years on me where I didn't even know what was going on in the world. Um, but <laughs> in a sense, at 1992, do you think at that point, football almost had a restart switch with a bit of a delay on it? where you see at the beginning it was Man United. They win seven of the first nine Premier Leagues because because if you win the first one, you're going to get the most money and it sort of snowballs from there. It's like, well, you're going to get the next, you know, you're continually going to get the most money. So it just kind of means mm. you're always going to have more money to spend. Eventually they make the best 11, best, uh, best team they can make. Uh, so there's no way really that they can improve on that squad anymore. So it sort of filters down. And Arsenal join the party. Uh, they make a good eleven. They win it for two years, maybe three years here or there. Then along comes Russian money and Mr. Abramovich. Then comes the Emirates with Man City. Then comes the Americans at Liverpool. And it's like over time we're seeing more and more money come into the league. And you you sort of get in another big team, well, another made team at the top in a sense, another another team which joins mm. that elite bracket of clubs. I mean, we're seeing mm. it now with teams like Leicester, Wolves, sort of joining into the fray of the big six going on, big eight. Do you think that this is sort of just something which is that delayed sort of resets which I was on about, where those sort of teams at the top. There's a gap between them and everybody else because of the money. And in a sense, over time, eventually, all of these clubs, you look maybe in five years' time, you might see Leeds and Villa catch back up, maybe Everton as well. And then it'll just gradually cycle down until all of the Premier League's got all of, you know, all of them are super competitive and it's a competitive league once again. Not even thinking about the other 72 teams which exist in the Football League pyramid. Mm. Do, do you think that well, this is just an issue which they can't really get around because money is just it, it's going to take time to trickle all the way down um, well I mean the thing is it, it's tricky as well because you know like like you said how it kind of went in steps and you know you had Abramovich come in um, you know and and you had uh, I think it's Sheikh Mansour isn't it for Man City come yeah. in for you know for them um, and then since then, because of financial regulations, you know, as in I, I, other teams have kind of joined the party. But as in, like, when you look at how Leicester have done it, they've kind of, you know, they won the league. They struggled for a year or so, but then they've kind of gradually built. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily been through enormous spending. It's been a more of a kind of organic growth, isn't it? Um, but I guess that's part of the the benefit of the league system isn't it is that eventually through being more competitive the 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 money kind of filters down through all of the clubs not just the top teams um and i guess that's where you have the benefit of the the kind of sponsorship money and the the tv stuff aside from where you finish in the league because obviously then like teams towards the bottom okay they may not get as much for their positioning, but then they do get a significant amount for the TV rights and stuff as well. So, yeah, I mean, I it's not a perfect model, obviously, but I, I do think it's it's okay, I guess. Dad, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it is hard to see, isn't it, where where you kind of go from from here in the sense of you can over time seeing the quality of the squads that Leicester and. You only want Ancelotti to have a couple of seasons at Everton. You'd like to think what that squad will be like. Um, mm. So you you could end up. You've always I've always kind of seen the Premier League as basically being three mini leagues. 
you've you've got like mm. who's mm. who's competing for the European places. Then there's best of the rest, and then there's always a bottom f- five, maybe six, for the relegation. And every year, it more or less works out like that. And mm. I think, yeah, you make a good point, Jack. That over time, you might end up having like ten teams competing for those top six, seven places, uh, and that is going to drive. Um, the money has such a impact on it. I don't think it's a coincidence. I know we'll come and talk to the talk about the Premier League later on, but it's no coincidence, is it, that the teams that are at the bottom of the league at the moment, two of those three, have come up last. They came up this season, and resource-wise, it is a real, real struggle. Um, mm-hmm. But then that comes back but to how do you at some stage? Yeah, at some stage you're going to see that all of twenty teams are going to, you know, in a sense, it's just going to have to have trickled down enough that eventually you're going to see teams that like equivalent of Wolves at the moment in the Premier League falling into the Championship, and the guys in the Championship are going to have no hope against them at some stage. Like, yeah, well, I mean, I guess to a certain extent there have been points where that's kind of happened already. You know, like when. Um, Maybe not quite to the same extreme, but as in, like, you think of when, like, QPR kind of were in that kind of stage in the Premier League slash Championship, as in, you were looking at some of the players that, and unlike when Newcastle got relegated, you were looking at some of the players that Newcastle had, and you were like, they're probably a bit too good to be in the Championship, aren't they? And, like, you, I guess, um, I'm trying to think of what other team, I just had a team in mind, but I've completely forgotten. Well, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. And you had these kind of teams that were. You know, you were looking at some of the players they had. And you were like, well, last season, okay, they may not necessarily be like top of the Premier League, but then you were like, that that's a solid Premier League player there, and they're playing in the Championship. So I definitely think that at some point you're going to have this kind of, it, it is going to filter through, I guess. Um, I just think it'll be a question of, you know, I, I think John Barnes was saying something the other day about how football generally needs more kind of like auditing of clubs, financial caps, and that and that sort of thing. I think that the big change is going to be what sort of, and I guess as a result of this kind of um, European Super League saga, are there going to be things that they bring in to kind of regulate clubs more so that it isn't just a case of clubs going for as much wealth as possible rather than staying in competitive football? I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm more to say on that. That's a, that's a really mm-hmm. good point. Got anything to add, Dav? Um, no, no. I I just think it's a case of yeah, thinking about those kind of things, isn't it? Like in the the uh, prem the rugby premiership, they do have salary caps, and um, mm. it's looking at that's the only other way that you can. You know, instead of allowing the richer clubs to get richer indefinitely, that's the only other way that you can mm. try and in- ensure a bit more uh, parity and, and and evenness. I mean, most clubs are where they are, aren't they, because of the money of their owners, like you mentioned Abramovich and whatever. Like, it's fair to say that most clubs are that have got their success. Okay, maybe in the past it was kind of done through... I'm not saying that you know Man City are obviously talented, but they've been able to buy talent. Mm, um, yeah, and yeah. Money just does so much, doesn't it? 
if it would Man City be where they are if Sheikh Mansour had never come and invested? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. What I'm saying is, Man City can be held up as like you know they might win the quadruple this year, but is their model sustainable? Like as a as a business, mm. unless you've got someone who's very happy mm. to plow millions into it. Well, that's not sustainable. That's just somebody being kind. <laughs> Which is, you know, good for them. I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's just mm. not sustainable, well, yeah, I is mean, it? And it's, it's, yeah, and it's, it's, it's not just um, City, you know, as in, like, I think of, like, as, as a Liverpool fan, as in, for for a long time, Liverpool were kind of, um, you know, all breed talent in-house kind of, kind of scenario. But ultimately... You know, Abramovich comes in and basically completely shakes up what's happening in the Premier League, and then for a team like Liverpool and like United as well, as in, unfortunately, the only way you are gonna compete for a Premier League is by spending big money year on you. Um, and you know that, that's that's I'm not saying that's the only reason Liverpool won a title, but as in you've got to look at the investment that Liverpool have made. You know, as in they're paying seventy odd million for a goalkeeper. Well, you know, sort of ten years ago, that's unheard of. Mm. So, I mean, De Gea was yeah. a thirty odd mil signing, and that was big at the time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Speaking money, of eh? speaking of money, um, we have <laughs> just spoken of it. Uh, obviously, um, you see some of the leagues. We're talking about salary caps. Leagues in America, in particular, they don't really focus on money as the great differentiator between good and bad teams they mm. it's sort of more of a commonwealth approach where everyone gets an equal split of the tv money and say shirt sales and ticket revenues and all that that's that's a, a sort of that's way if you want to make more money than the others you do but it's never about money in those leagues it's more so about um things like draft picks so do, do you think uh, a model where in a sense, money wasn't an issue. Could work. It'd be really difficult to to implement it, particularly into a pyramid system like we have. Mm. But say, for instance, <clears throat> oh, I'm trying to think of how you could implement it, which is really difficult because if you're going to have a fluid uh, league system where you get promotion and relegation and a model mm. where money doesn't matter, it's kind of impossible. But do you not think <laughs> something like a I know we don't like the idea of no relegation, but do you not think some sort of equal opportunity for all, almost like they have in cricket where they brought in that Big Bash, I don't know if you uh, I think it was Big Bash or something like that, I don't know if you're into your cricket and all that, I'm not particularly into it, but they kind of just took all of the play- these big players and started a new competition with new teams in different regions, mm. you know, they had like the... Celtic Dragons for Wales and stuff like that. Mm. Like, do you not think they could make some sort of league where they, in a sense, draft people instead of uh, pay for them, and that way then there's no wealth inequality and everyone's got an equal chance? Bit of a mouthful of um, that question. Well, go on, Dad. You go first. I've gone first. I'll ask you <laughs> questions. <laughs> I think it's one Never of those things voice. which, like, you say it on paper and you think, oh yeah, maybe that could work, but it's the whole. It's the whole closed shop thing. Like, the whole relegation... No relegation is such a big... Like, Pep Guardiola said, didn't he, that if if it's not sport, if success is guaranteed. So, like, you know, we take Pep's word and say thanks, Pep. We'll stop the conversation there. Because I think at the end of the day, because of how deep-rooted the system is, like, you've got this pyramid system, 
you know, 90 plus different teams. That's 90 plus communities, towns, cities, etc. That's so deep rooted. Um, I don't, I, like you say, like, Jack, it, it's basically impossible. And yeah, I think it is because for you, for you to do that, to take some kind of franchise system, um, like you say about the cricket, like even um, with like the county level that we have, there's 18 counties and it's kind of, it's quite a closed system, isn't it? Whereas at the moment you could have a team in the ninth or 10th tier of football and you could have dreams that one day you'll be in the league there's like a different yeah. setup in football isn't there that like you can be playing for your local club which might be really small but you might over many seasons be able to get to league two or something that that's the mm. the kind of pyramid system that we have which i don't i don't know the history of the nfl but i i would imagine that like because they decided at the very beginning this is how we're going to work it can, it can work but i don't think you can transfer that across because mm. you know um you know recently wrexham have been bought over haven't they by those um american mm. actors well like that's their dream now isn't it like we're, we're gonna go places we're gonna get to the top and who's to stop the good mm. people of wrexham dreaming what a scandal mm. if you closed it up and said you can't you haven't got the opportunity to be able to get to the to mm. the Premier League, like. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I. We, well, sorry, no, I, I, I just think there's too, there's too many obstacles to it, isn't there? Mm. But at the same time, you've got teams like two-time champions, well, European Cup winners Nottingham Forest, founding members of the Football League in Accrington, Aston Villa, and Wolves. Um, I forget Notts County who are out of the Football League entirely Bolton Wanderers almost went into liquidation do you not think that there are some merits to, uh, to the no relegation rule like you've got some of these historic clubs clubs which are supported by huge fan bases uh, and they could fall out fall out of love with the beautiful game purely because they have a dodgy owner here or there. I mean, we spoke just then about Wrexham having, you know, a bit of optimism because now they've got a new American owner or owners. Um, but do, do, you not, do you not think there could be a place for certain teams to, or maybe to have some sort of protection? I mean, are you well, are mean, you a fan if you fall out of love with the, the beautiful game? Just throw that grenade well, in I'd there. I'd say and, more uh, in the sense there. of... If they're liquidated, they can't be a fan of that team. And it's like, well, if you're all all of your associations with that team, where'd you go? What's your next step? Yeah, that's a different issue, though, to not having relegation, isn't it? Okay. Because Notts County still exists. Hmm. And I, I, I do think as well, as in, I, I agree with what you're saying, as in, in terms of protection. But as in, let's not forget, when you get relegated from the, the Premier League, you get a large sum of money for a good few years the parachute payments as in surely the whole point of that is and you know i think a lot of the time teams see it as um oh well we've got to use this money straight away to get back into the premier league um but i guess there is a scenario where okay maybe you need to use that money invest it in the club and go right okay well we may not get back to the premier league straight away but we're going to secure our safety with that money um and I, I do think that's part of the the parcel of the parachute payments, to be honest. Um, and I do kind of get what you're saying, but ultimately, is in sport, 
it, you know, it, it's competitive. Every time someone wins, someone has got to lose. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I, I do think, you know, if you are a fan of those clubs, as in, it's uh, it's a tricky place to be. And and I, in the scenario of Bolton Wanderers, like, just be just because you know they went into administration, that's not necessarily because of the relegation. As in, like Liverpool went into administration in the Premier League, with you know. So as in, I I think there's an element of. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, teams. There's a lot of leagues to drop down before a club goes out of existence, and I think if you drop in that far down, clearly as a club, something has gone wrong. And I, I think at that point, then it's not necessarily the league's responsibility to dig that club out. I don't think anyone has a divine right to be in the Premier League, though. Do they? No. I mean, you no. Arsenal and Everton are the only two teams in history that have. That have, exactly. only, that have never been relegated from the top division. So, basically, mm-hmm. you know, if you support your a, a football club, they've chances are they've not always been in the top division. And you've only got to look at the Premier League now to look at it from the other way. You talk about these teams that have dropped down. You look at teams that are in the Premier League now. Brighton in two thousand and ten, they win League One. Wolves mm-hmm. twenty thirteen, they win League One. Leeds, they win League One twenty ten. Same as Southampton. Man City, they were there in the late nineties, and then well, recently Sheffield, yeah, as Sheffield well. United, and then you know you look at those teams at the top of the Championship who've been in the Premier League in recent history: Norwich, Bournemouth, Swansea. They've all been in League League Two, some of them. Um, so yeah, you know they're in the Premier League, maybe at the expense of your Notts Forests and um, you know Accrington Stanley. But I think that's, like you say, Jack, that's sport, isn't it? And you've got to have that ability to to dream and to to go from League One to the Premier League. Why not? Mm. Nobody thought Bournemouth could do it, but they did. And what a story, you know. It's mm. good points. And I guess, as, I, I guess as well, there is a, I guess this is where it's difficult because football is one of those weird sports where like NFL is very kind of not business orientated but you get what I mean is in like a lot of decisions like uh for example the Raiders this season have moved from or the season just gone I should say moved from one city to a completely where were they because they're Las Vegas Oakland. now aren't they? they're, they're in Oakland yeah. which was pretty so, yeah, near so Las Vegas but Really. Yeah, but as in you know, it's is in it. W- it would be like Liverpool moving from Liverpool to Manchester. As in geographically, it's not particularly far. But as in, if that happened in football, they would be outraged. So I guess in in NFL, they are kind of the in in their nature, they are franchises. And I guess that's like Dav said, as in that's because that's how they were set up pretty like fairly early on. Um, so I think there's this balance between kind of you've got to have the financial side, but also like Pep Guardiola said, it is still a sport. And I think sometimes there's a, there's a danger if you do make it, you know, like certain teams can't be relegated, do you lose that kind of sport element in favour of business and finance and money and stuff? So, yeah, that that, that, that would be my thoughts, I guess. It's fair enough. Right? Yeah. I, on that sort of Pep Guardiola quote about um, mm. I can't remember what the so remind me what the quote exactly was. Anybody got that? Yeah, so not the spot you? if success is guaranteed. 
Okay. Thanks for playing that. Thanks for playing that video, Dav. <laughs> <laughs> he was a bit Italian um, then for a second, wasn't he? I don't know what came over him then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but on that sort of just going on to other sports in particular, one of the good or things that we like most about football is that it's equal in the form of it's eleven on eleven. Do you think? Mm. Do you think when you look at other sports, particularly people always thought about financial doping in a sense in cycling, where it's like it's pretty much a guarantee that Team Sky or Ineos uh, are going to win the Tour de France, or you see sports like the Formula One where you know it's a guarantee that it's going to be Red Bull uh, or Mercedes or Ferrari because they've just got a better engine at the beginning. Do you, do you mm. not think maybe? Is that statement entirely true? Do you think relegation genuinely is the big divider in terms of it's no longer comp- competitive if there's no relegation? Because these other sports, in a sense, have things which football doesn't have, and they're still competitive. Uh, yeah. You could still definitely call them sports uh, as such. But yeah, it's just something that came to yeah. my mind whilst we were chatting about it then, that lots of other sports have things... Which perhaps we don't have in ours, where you know one team doesn't play with twelve mm. players and the other team plays with ten. There's inequalities mm. in all sports, in a sense. You'll think maybe not the relegation rule is probably the wrong one to go with, mm. but in terms of those sports, are they not? Would you call them less competitive than say football because they've got the? It's not eleven or eleven in a sense. I'll ring Pep and ask him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think. I, I, I agree with what you're saying, isn't it? That's not the only thing that defines what a sport is, but I think there is an element of, you know, if you're if you're one of the bottom teams in the Premier League where you can't get relegated, like what's what is your motivation? Like if you're right at the bottom like if you know, if there's relegation you've got to scrap to survive. Like if if there's no relegation and you're that bottom team you just think, all right, well, never, don't worry, lads. We'll just go next year, and you know, I guess, I guess that's where you come down to, you know, how do you define a sport? I guess, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just a passing question. Didn't really, yeah, yeah, really no, have much no, leads off no, of it, but no, you are, you are right. But as in, I guess, uh, competition, you know, it, and and sport, a big part of it was it, sorry is you have winners and you have losers. And I think if you basically eliminate the fact that you're not really getting... I mean, obviously, you'll have losers to each game, but as in... I think it's part of, you know... It's a motivator, isn't it? If you're at the bottom of the table, it's a motivator to keep you in the league. If you're you're at the top of the table below and there's the chance that you could get promoted, you know, that, that is a big motivator and therefore it kind of encourages competition, I guess. Well, I, I, something just sprang to mind. Italy in the Six Nations or Georgia in the second division of the Six Nations. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. That That's the perfect scenario where you've got a team who, for years now, because there's no sort of relegation or promotion, have just been kind of lingering and nothing... You know, they're not really got, getting any better. If anything, they're getting worse. So you call it for the end of the Six Nations. Do you hate the Six Nations in its I don't, entirety? I, I, because it doesn't wait, have relegation. Stop it now. Stop it now. <laughs> in all seriousness, on, on, on a side note, I do think there should be promotion relegation in the Six Nations. I've come to that conclusion. Oh, but... Cool. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's Back good. to football. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
I, I do have an next point, which is on about uh, how can football, in a sense, regain some of its competitiveness. But uh, in terms of going back to the European Super League as a topic, does anybody really have any burning points they want to make about uh, the competition in general in terms of how it's laid out or in terms of what their thoughts on the teams or anything in particular? I think just the the one thing, like, we, you know, we've discussed a lot of the points from a sporting perspective and competition, which is, you know, it's a, it's a fair enough question to discuss, like, how would it work from a, a footballing point of view? But, like, at the end of the day... I was the the combined debt of these twelve clubs is hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds, and it's interesting. Perez, the president, is he of Real Madrid, is a big yeah. proponent of this. So, the financial model that they work to is really crumbled over the last year with a lack of money coming in because of the whole COVID situation. So. At the moment, he knows it's laughable to be talking about trying to buy Mbappe or Haaland because they just haven't got the finances to do it. So to, I think like it's just worth underlining that you know you can you can discuss the merits of this sporting from a sporting perspective, but this was well and truly all about money. Um, of course, there it was, was yeah, it's a business. Yeah, system, yeah, yeah. These it? guys who own these clubs, they're not billionaires for no reason at all. Like they know how to make money. And on on Monday morning, uh, Juventus's share price went up by fourteen percent, and United's went up by eight and a half. Wow. After the discussions yeah, of on Sunday, Monday morning, Juventus's <clears throat> value went up by like a sixth, just like that. So this was like you know they this was the big money maker, um, and so I think that's just got to be put out there, isn't it? There was, mm. you know, the the questions that you've asked. Jack about how you know the sporting aspect of it and how you could the the competitive nature of European leagues like those are good questions but I don't think I don't think Perez uh, and um, the the president of Juventus they weren't sitting there going oh guys you know what it's not competitive enough this league we need some more action that yeah. was not their priority their priority was. How can we grow our bank balance? Mm. Well, yeah, and, I, and to be honest, I think if they if they have said that, because I'm sure I've read quotes saying that they they're just talking like Perez has said, like you know, oh, you know, who doesn't want to see the best teams play the best teams? It's like, okay, yeah, whatever. But as in, like, if they're really saying that that's their motivation, they're just lying through their teeth. Like, <laughs> it's it's like you said, that it is purely a, a money making scheme. If he's if he's um, serious about saving football and getting kids watching football which is one of his points he'll make he'll work harder mm. to make football more accessible and free to wear exactly yeah and there's a part of me that thinks you know is it like um you know like as i read something they said basically he was talking about the finances and he said oh you know like our operational budget has been 900 million for this long and because of the pandemic and things it's now 600 million and you kind of look at it and go in like there are so many clubs in the world that kind of look at it and go, welcome to the real world. Yeah. Like, you know, the majority of clubs don't have millions upon millions to spend on players. Like, boo-hoo for you, deal with it. As in, that, that's, part of, that's part of sport. As in, you can't just solve everything with more money. And, you know, 
he's saying, oh, you know, we want to see the best teams be the best teams. How about Real Madrid don't buy every single piece of talent that crops up in La Liga and then just store it away? Like, you think of the amount of players that, like, Madrid signed because they were good for a play- for a team the season before, and then they don't even, like, make their bench. Like, I remember when uh, Madrid signed, like, a Yara Mendy for, like, 38 million. He didn't even play. Um, who else? Have they, they signed, like, Isco from... Yeah, exactly. Odegaard. Um, Isco for many years. Like, they bought Isco. Where he was, like, the best player for um, uh, Malaga. Um, he was, like, one of their best players for that season. And then, like, for, I would say for at least three quarters of the following season, he didn't even start. James Rodriguez. They buy James Rodriguez for crazy money. He has one season there. is considered a flop. And then he gets loaned out. Like, how about you don't just, like spend crazy money on players and just nab them from all the teams and then you'll have a more competitive league. Uh it's like you say, Dan, as in if he wants if he wants, you know, oh if he wants to save football, how about he tries restructuring the things that are currently wrong rather than being like, right, we'll just do something that makes us more money. So frustrating. Well you you just asked in... for a burning point there, Jack. I think you I think you got it. <laughs> Sorry, I just I thought well I'll get it out now because there's a there's a potential there's a potential that this uh, you know I won't get a chance to rant about this again. We look so, forward to Mr. Perez's response. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be you'll yeah. be on Spanish TV tomorrow. Don't worry. <laughs> He's in so uh, if you join that. us next week, we'll we'll be joined by uh, Fiorentino Perez himself. <laughs> um, just 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 as a, a sort of a recap, well, not a recap. Uh, an end point for the the Super League in a sense. I would you guys be opposed to a Super League in all forms uh, in the future in a sense, ignoring uh, uh, the, no relegation rules or anything. There is relegation. There is a promotion mm. system and all that, uh, and the, it's not just purely for uh, money monetary reasons. Mm. Would you guys be against a Super League? Is it instead of or as well as domestic? instead of it's it, no. it, it, it's as a part of but you wouldn't be competing in your own in a sense so you would be promoted from the premier league <clears> to <throat> the super league if if you meet if you qualify in a sense like <sighs> like the way I'm envisioning it is let's say you took the top 4 at the moment not West Ham. Assume it's someone better. Mm. Um, <laughs> or West Ham fans. No, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, let's say let's say you take take some four good teams from the Premier League, and you take you know your three good ones from the Spanish league, and in a sense, all those teams which are dominating their leagues to the point where it's uncompetitive. You take all of them, you put them in a league, and every year the winners of their domest- of the domestic leagues from all of the leagues across Europe. Uh, will go into some sort of mass playoff. And you win your mass, or say the top three in a, some sort of league format for those guys, then all qualify to get promoted, and the bottom three of that Super League go back to their original leagues. Would you not be for something like that, where there is still that promotion relegation element, uh, but you you still w- you wouldn't be going up there almost like you know a sheep to the wolves in a sense like a team like az alkmaar going up into the super league and it's like well good mm. luck you know what i mean not like cannon fodder but a genuine competitive super league mm. would you be for or against is, 
is is there not without wanting to sound sassy is that not what the Champions League kind of does already no I when you think about it nah because well, but if you, in a sense they're still playing domestic it, that's the issue I'm I'm finding a way to get them out yeah but, but, but what what's wrong with them playing domestic what currently hmm. the imbalance in a but sense then, it's Rob, unequal then, for everybody it, else Mm, but as in, I don't think creating another league solves the imbalance of the leagues below. Surely the, you know, the problem is that those leagues themselves need to work out a way to make it more balanced. And it's like Dav said, as in, like, okay, they may appear imbalanced at the moment, like, like for the, the Italian league, for example. But as in, if Juve don't win the league this year. Who knows what's going to happen next year? As in AC Milan have started to pick up again. Inter Milan are looking competitive for the first time probably in about six or seven years. Um, I think. I guess what I'm saying is, I feel like by creating a Super League, I I feel like it just detracts from the Champions League. In all honesty, because um, I feel like surely some of them, you know, like Liverpool this champ- season now. What if it replaced the Champions League as well? No, no, don't you? It's you, can't. you still got the Champions League in a sense, but you don't qualify for it by finishing top four in your leagues or whatever. Mm. You qualify it as you, at the end of the Super League in a sense. You mm. go into the into the Champions League. For, for me, by having a Super League, it, it's it's going back to what Dav said. I think by having a Super League, if all games are big games, then no games are big games. Like the whole excitement of the Champions League is like for example when Liverpool get Barcelona in the semi-finals for the first time in nearly a decade that's what makes the Champions League so exciting by pitting them up against you know I, I know obviously if you're having promotion and relegation generally you're going to get you're going to get a bit, a bit of variety mm. but ultimately the teams at the top are probably going to stay fairly similar um, I guess the only thing you, you, you're dealing with then the moral issue of promotion and relegation but then, if you're kind of having promotion and relegation and teams dropping in and out, for me, it, it fulfills the same role as the Champions League because the Champions League, you know, each year you get different teams qualifying via the automatic positions and then through the playoff rounds and then you go into a knockout competition with the best teams that are left. So, I'm going to say, for me, I don't... I don't see the point of a Super League, to be honest. Obviously, there's the financial benefits, etc. But from purely a footballing perspective, I think all it would do is detract from the Champions League. I think it's interesting as well, isn't it? You had no players who came out in support of this. But do you not think they didn't come out in support because of that no relegation rule? Because I think a lot of people really weren't on board with that. Yes. Do you not think if they were in a Super League which did have relegation, they'd go, you know, it's inevitable... Football's got to adapt and evolve in some way to, you know, be better. <laughs> What's your thoughts on a Super League? Would you ever be for one, Dav? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not convinced, to be honest, because I don't. It's the way. It's the two ways you look at it. Like if you're looking at it from like the big, from the big club perspective, but like I gen, I I genuinely don't think. There might be a little bit of rumblings, but generally, the the response of fans in this last week has been what it has been because you want to be playing uh, your domestic leagues. You haven't got teams 
from, you know, you haven't got your fans of Leeds and um, Brighton and Burnley and Wolves. I haven't seen a lot of sentiment which has been, oh, good riddance. Yeah, you, you jog on, we'll have our own league, thanks. You want to to be playing all together and you want to be going up against the best and you want to be playing against those good teams from your own country and you want to be pushing them and you want to be playing against the best. So I think if it was something, if there was, if what you're describing was something along the lines of trying to improve a Champions League or making tweaks to it or, you know, I'm not, I'm not against, because, you know, the Champions League wasn't a thing until like 20 odd years ago, was it? Whenever it was. So obviously, yeah, you're right. Football does have to continually look to adapt and change and whatever. But in a way that I think as well stays consistent with, um, you know, with stays with, with the fans, which is what we've seen the last few days. And, and remembering ultimately that like, you know, what is it that that is success you know is is it sounds stupid to say maybe but is success winning is success making money most football supporters across the country support clubs that maybe have never won a trophy they might not make a lot of money but you know they they are a they're a key part of a local community they're a key part of a lot of people's lives and and that's success for them you know so I think we've I think we've got to see it from not just a big club or from a neutral's perspective but also from the smaller clubs across the country as well and think well maybe that team in league 2 maybe Wrexham want to play Man City one day but wouldn't that be great well they can if they qualify for the super league <laughs> <laughs> get up there boys <laughs> never happening mm. um okay well in passion speech there is one boy. Well, there is one thing I'd like to say though, is that I do, I do think that the 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 Champions League isn't perfect. I'm not saying that the Champions League is perfect. Therefore, leave it alone. What could what could be I improved? Out of curiosity. Oof. Well, I mean, in you terms know, they, of obvious things. Well, I mean, they've recently announced that it's going to be expanded, haven't they? Yeah. And I I, I don't think that's necessary, to be honest. Um, you know. There's been many discussion about the the away goal rule. Mm-hmm. Very simple thing. Does it detract from the competition? Oh, quickly um, for or against both of you. The away goal rule. Uh, I'm against the away goal rule. I don't see its purpose. It. I'm for well, it when I'm it benefits the when it goes against. To be honest with you, it's a tricky one because I do think it it is gimmicky. I do think that in some ways it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it does not mean that we get some dramatic moments. So I'm a little bit torn, to be honest with you. I guess the idea of it is obviously that you you are trying to give a team some kind of incentive to not go away from mm. home and park the bus. Yeah. You know, mm. like. Do you think that would true. happen without an away goal rule? Well, they must have brought it in for that reasoning. Yes, that that could. I, I don't know when it came in. It's one I, of those. Don't get me wrong. It's one of those where sometimes you think, "Oh, that's that's a bit silly," or like how how frustrating that they've gone out on away goals. But mm. yeah, I don't know. I think that is one of those, isn't it? Like you know, 
if you've if you've ended up winning a Champions League because you've scraped through some quarter final through uh, an away goal, you're not going to complain, are you? So, <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know if that would make a I don't know if that makes a big difference to the competition as a whole, though. Does it as a structure? It just changes the no. the games in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, going back to the notes in a sense, moving on to what we're talking about. Um, in terms of regaining its competitiveness, uh, w- w- would you like to see any rules introduced? I-, I did note in the in the notes that the MLS has a Beckham rule where teams all have a salary cap in the MLS because they're sort of trying to they're trying to copy the NFL's model but in a natural organic way. And the way they're doing it is you've got your salary cap for all your players, but you can purchase or you can have three players on your squad which don't count towards a salary cap. Uh, do you guys like the idea of a, a rule like that in the Premier League, where only a certain number of players can say be paid more than the three hundred thousand pound a week? <laughs> well, that's a hardship, isn't it? Uh, gosh, only three hundred grand a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think generally something like that is going to have to. I wouldn't be against that in some form. It would have to be tapered in over a period of time because you can't just say next season. Yeah. You know, I mean, the the clubs half the squads getting like a fifty yeah, yeah, percent exactly. no players. Yeah. Clubs that are run well generally do have a wage structure, don't they? That um, yes, I, I think um, oh, one club recently was going to break its wage structure uh, for a player, and they actually declined. It might have been Arsenal. I think a Bamyang might have wanted. Um, an amount of money which just wasn't in fitting with uh, what the rest of the squad was being paid, so they they said no on it. But continue your point. Sorry, should interrupt. Mm. Yeah, I I think that you know in those instances clubs do that. They're trying to be financially responsible, and you want to yeah you want the best place to come and play for your club. So you're going to offer them good money, but when you can offer loads of you know, because one club happens to be owned by a rich guy, he can offer a massive salary to his whole team, his whole first eleven. Whereas another club can only offer, could only theoretically offer that money to like four players. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the only difference, therefore, is who's the guy backing you behind the desk. Well, it would be good to maybe be able to even that out a little bit. What do people do with three hundred grand a week anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I I would struggle to spend three hundred thousand pounds a week. That that would be a struggle. I don't know what I would spend the because once you've bought a house, what's next? It's it's like a car. Then you're onto helicopters next. It's like you're really struggling in terms of. I'm just gonna run out instantly. Not run out. Or rather, have too too much to get a handle of it. If you save enough, you could buy a football club. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I. To be honest with you, I I would say I don't know about the specifics of that salary cap, but definitely a salary cap I think would be in some shape or form would be good, personally. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about um, well, well, one place I read had a um suggestion of bringing in squad size limits. I don't know what that would do per se. I don't know whether he was insinuating um, that you'd just have like a certain number of English players or domestic players. Would you like any sort of produced squad size or anything like that? 
I mean, I'm not. Specifically. Yeah, yeah. I I think if you're. I've seen. There's been suggestions (laughs) about that, hasn't there? With like the FA and developing talent and whatever, but. I I don't know. Like, that doesn't really. Because if you've got a pot of money, if you've just got less players, you'll just pay them more. Yeah. So. (laughs) I don't know. You probably need more detail on what they're. Yeah, meaning about like a, a, the limiting of a of a squad size because, you know, if you're competing on a few different fronts, you need a decent sized squad to be able to do that. Mm, you probably need more than three starting centre backs for the season. Well, Liverpool tell you about that. Liverpool. <laughs> that was a necessary shot, that really. Yeah. Um, Gosh. G- going on to the Super League clubs, then they've, the league's over. It's finished. Um, do you think they should be punished anywhere? I know we've said before that we perhaps don't want them to... Well, the other clubs, particularly in the league, don't want them to be relegated because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's those six clubs that probably bring, it, bring in the uh, biggest amount of money to the league. They make it the most. They make the league what it is uh, in terms of its uh, appeal to the broader audiences. But would you like to see something like a one-year Champions League ban or transfer bans or fines? Anything in particular that you think they should uh, be faced with because of their sort of greediness? I think if they were going to be faced with anything, I'd want it to be something that um, impacted the owners as opposed to the players. So, mm, you know, like yeah. you had the Liverpool players out on Monday night. They played Leeds and like James Milner's there going, oh, I don't like it. Didn't know anything about it before yesterday. So, I think it's fair enough to say that the players and the managers had no involvement in any of this. Mm. So if anything that would affect them, like why shouldn't they be allowed to play in the Champions League because of some decision some small group of guys has made somewhere? Why should they be thrown out of the Premier League because of... You know, it's, I don't think it's anything that they've done in particular. So I wouldn't want... I, I mean, I, I can understand why people might say it, but I would think that's a little bit harsh. But then yep. you wouldn't want these owners to get away with it either. You could argue like, oh, throw them out of the Premier League, then they'll struggle financially. But then that would be harsh on the on the players possibly. But I don't know, like a, a mm. I, I suppose a, a transfer ban or some kind of fine. But it would have to be a pretty big fine, to be honest, to hit a top six Premier yeah. League club. Yeah. Um, a transfer ban, does that hurt the, the club's mm. chances of winning a trophy or something? Possibly. Um so I'm not I'm not against the idea of some kind of consequence for it. Like I think that there should be, but I I think it would be harsh on you know your poor James Milner's of the world or all the players, all the players to be honest. Like Rashford, De Bruyne, all the different clubs. They came out and said we're not we're not fans of it. We don't want this. We weren't told anything about it. So it'd be, it'd be a bit harsh on them to not be able to play in Europe next season, for example, just because of of that. You know. That's fair, yeah. enough. That's fair enough. Yeah, I, I agree, Dev, to be honest with you. I think it's... Um, it is a tricky one, though, because it's like, how do you... You know, as in... Like, looking at the things you put down there, as in, my, my initial one is, like, a fine. I think what you said is right, Dev, as in, like, what sort of fine you're going to have to give a top six Premier League club? It's going to have to be astronomical. And, you know, again, it's, does that then impact... Not directly, obviously, but then does that indirectly impact, you know they're spending for the next summer transfer window and then at that point then it is impacting the team I guess 
So I, I agree that there should be some form of punishment. What that punishment will be is uh, a bit trickier, What I guess. would be fun is if you gave them all, like, I don't know, a 25-30 point deduction. So they're going to get enough points in the season to stay up. But it would just be such a nervy season, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, they're probably it's like you guys are ten games behind. Assuming you win them, yeah. All. So like, you're gonna get to go. about. You, they'll probably would in a normal season. They'd hit sixty to seventy points. So if you gave them a twenty-five and, points deduction, they would probably get just enough to scrape in to stay up. Mm. But ah, oh, that would be uh, that would be a fun watch, wouldn't it? Some you'd see some absolute pummelins though of some teams you'd see City go out there and hold nothing back they'd be I mean I, I put in the notes as a stat Burnley have lost well I've been to the last four trips they've had to the Etihad they've lost all of them 5-0 it's like you just see City go out there and tear teams to shreds just just almost like yeah we're not even taking a chance here we are not getting relegated we're going to destroy someone today and it'd just be like it'd be an expose on how to beat a team Pep Guardiola would go crazy I think of uh, his options in terms of what he'll uh, end up doing to everybody <laughs> oh I'd love to see it though would love to see uh, the panic in their eyes. Go, going on then, should we move on to our next topic? I mean, note we're an hour and a half of the way through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got two topics to go. Um, nice. In terms of, well, the next thing I put was Mourinho getting sacked. 17 months yeah, at the helm. Under the radar, really, wouldn't it? It has. the shenanigans. Do you think Daniel Levy sacked him to sort of... Because he did it the exact same day, or the day after, rather, uh, the Super League was announced. Do you think he did it, you know, to cover, take take some of the heat off? I mean, it's difficult to know for sure, obviously. I mean, there were rumours, I don't know how true they are, that, like, Mourinho basically told his players that, like, we're not going out for training because of the the announcement. Um, I don't, obviously, I don't know how true that is. Um, possibly... Um, you know, you know how how do you judge it? Is in like because ultimately, then this was something that um, you know that was mentioned on like different media outlets. As in, um, his his form wasn't particularly great with Spurs currently. So you know there is an element to which um, you know was it literally just based purely on league form. Possibly, I I I don't think it was done uh, with the intent of to, to drawing attraction away from the Super League stuff, mm-hmm. but it may have been linked, I guess. Yeah, that's my thought. That's, what are you, Dav? Do you think it was a a cynical sacking, or do you think it was about right considering the situation Spurs are in? Well, yeah, I I think the timing of it is odd, isn't it? Just before Cup final, like. Six days. Yeah, I, I, I can't. Im- it is weird, I can't yeah. imagine that Spurs are going to, you know, they're really betting on the new manager bounce there, aren't they? Like, I can't imagine Spurs are going to be much better without him. Come Sunday, especially with Ryan Mason. Come Sunday, yeah, like, you know, like mm. it's was twenty nine, the youngest coach there's ever been in the Premier League. So, what? you know, I, 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 I can see how, basically. It's not exactly been a great relationship, has it? For hmm. between Levy and Mourinho and the fans, and it, they've never really taken to Mourinho, and so 
you could argue that they've sacked him before he possibly wins a trophy. Because if he wins a trophy, that does make Daniel Levy's job much harder in the summer. He was thinking, oh, I'm going to mm-hmm. get rid of Mourinho. Well, it, winning a trophy makes it a bit harder because Mourinho can say, I've got you what you wanted. Um, yeah. I, I do think it's interesting, though, Dav, that what you've said there about Mourinho, you could probably insert that at the majority of the clubs he's been at. You know, as in, like, he doesn't really get on with the the owner particularly well. Fans yeah. don't particularly, apart from Chelsea, maybe, the fans don't particularly take to him. Well, to be fair, since um, he's left Porto and Inter, <clears throat> everywhere he's been, in a sense, at Barn, including <clears throat> Chelsea, um, but everywhere he's been, apart from them, but yeah, they've, had, they've got a bit more, the players have got a bit more ego about them, in a sense, so perhaps it does rub them up the wrong way, the fact that they know they... Like in a sense, when when Mourinho's winning the Champions League with Inter and Porto, maybe the fact that they won the Champions League is why, in a sense, he's almost had this godlike status at those clubs. Um, but when he's gone to clubs like Madrid, where you've got your Ronaldos and Man United with your Paul Pogba's, it's like it really is. It it, it seems to have rubbed them the wrong way because those guys know they're going to win a Champions League or a World Cup at some point in their careers, so they got a bit more about them in a sense to bite back aren't quite as happy taking the because to be fair the way he man manages everyone praised when he was at clubs like Chelsea but it's not mm. a, a nicety in a sense he he tries to um, put them down to you know in a sense kick themselves back up it's like you know you're, you've you been rubbish and it's like well you know do something about it and next week they play better Um so it, it doesn't surprise me that perhaps maybe that's what's happened at Spurs. And but to be fair, though, we have heard that Harry Kane would apparently run through a brick wall for him. Uh, he's <laughs> he really got on with him. So I'd be surprised at the same time if it was the players in particular that are the reason he's been sacked. Mm. Although at the same time, we speak about him six days away from a final. He, all Spurs, in a sense. He can't do worse than any other league manager they've had, well, manager they've had, if he wins a trophy. Because that's all Spurs fans want. You win it, it's that I think everyone forgives everything. So it, it does surprise me that Daniel Levy that much dislikes him or that much doesn't want him running his club, that he's <coughs> willing to risk their first chance at silverware in about 12 years just to get him out early. It's like It just seems the priorities are all in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I agree. Sorry, Dav, I interrupted you there as well. Um, well, you. <laughs> you know, this is this is one of those questions which, if we could answer, then I'm sure we'd be much richer than we are. Um, <laughs> I, I think at the end of the day, like he was coming in behind Pochettino. Fans loved Pochettino. They were never really enamoured by Mourinho. And it's interesting, isn't it? End of last week, Pogba comes out and says. Uh, I never really got Mourinho, never really understood him. Like, There was that difficulty in relationship with him when he was at United. And it's not been to the same extent this season, but there's like, you know, there's been those questions. What's been going on with him and Gareth Bale? Like, it seemed to be going so well, and then there's been little back and forths in press conferences about oh, Bale posted this on his social media, and, and Mourinho is kind of... There's, there just always seems to be something about the, the way that he man manages and hmm. so I think you 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 know you mentioned how he came running through a brick wall for him I'm sure generally that that 
is true, but like that question over like were the players unhappy and was like Mourinho seeing what was good, was Levy seeing what Mourinho was up to and thinking, oh, like we we can't carry on with this. But then I would understand all of that next Monday after the final if they'd lost. If they'd mm. lost, but to do it now, I it is a real. I don't know. It's a conundrum, isn't it? Maybe Jose will come and be a pundit for us sometime and will tell us what happened. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you make of some of the signings he made? Mourinho did note that he wanted a centre back and never actually got yeah, one. Yeah, he, he got did. guys like yeah. Joe Roden <laughs> from Swansea. Don't you dare <laughs> laugh. We were done over. <laughs> no, we were I, I tell blind. you. Aston, Aston Villa robbed Nottingham Forest with Matty Cash. Joe Rogan is a nobody in means of uh, good players. Oh, oh! <laughs> he didn't mean anything to Swansea, did he? Jack, we want we want Dav to come back, mate. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. Good grief! He was a he was uh, a Swansea Swansea boy, born and bred, and no one begrudged him going. To be fair, it was just like he went for far, far too little money. How much did he go for? I think it was eleven, rising to fourteen. That's quite a lot. I not when God, I mean, no, yeah. not when Godfrey went from Norwich to Everton for twenty-five. Gosh, you're taking yeah. swipes at other clubs now. But at the same time, Matty Cash leaves Forest for Villa for about fifteen, or less than fifteen. Actually, it might have been. Well, where are Forest I, this season? I, they're quite low down. Well, yeah, See the impact Matty Cash had. It's the impact he had, it was. He was clearly... To be fair, I, I, I honestly think he's the sort of right-back that could go to any top club and be good. Dominant force. Cuts in. Beautiful shot on him. Anyway, back onto the point. Mourinho signing players. Yeah, he didn't get the centre-back that he was kind of looking for. Um, but <laughs> he did sign Matt Doherty, Pierre... Uh, well, I can't remember his middle name. Uh, Hoiberg. Um, <laughs> Regulon, Bale. You know, he got some guys. Do you think he wanted all of them? Because... I feel like Bale was kind of just like Daniel Levy went, you know, you can have him, so I'll have him, uh, and kind of just got him. But is that really Mourinho's squad to really judge him on? I mean, Gareth Bale just needed a gym to get fit for the summer, didn't he? So that's yeah. why he came to he wasn't He wasn't going to play at Madrid, was he? No. I mean, I think some of those signings... Hoiberg is a definite Mourinho signing. Like, he's a, he's a very Mourinho-type player, isn't he? Like, the way that he breaks up play and is solid defensively. I guess Doherty... He's like Nemanja Matic 2.0. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess Doherty wasn't exactly a... He's not a kind of signing who's going to make them uh, a top top team. To be fair, like, they are... They've got a good squad, haven't they? Like, it's not a bad squad, Mm -hmm. but then... I suppose Mm. it isn't... He probably hasn't been able to, to bring in an awful lot but then not not a lot of teams have in the last 12 months have they because of the situation we've been in so it's not been a straightforward time to be signing players and selling players but yeah it, I guess we're not to know but the, it's not a coincidence the same thing happened at United wasn't it like he was going after he wanted a centre back then and he never um he didn't get his wishes. But ironically, he wanted Toby Alderweireld when he was at Man United. He goes to Spurs and they sell him. Well, he's gone, isn't he? Toby Alderweireld. He's back at Ajax, uh, I think. Is he? 
I think so. I'll pass on that. I, I, that. I might be wrong on that, but uh, I got a feeling either he's left or maybe it was just that he was leaving this season. Uh, mm. but yeah, I just thought it was quite quite funny that he wanted him for so I long mean, and now he's got him. I, I, I can't help but feel with Mourinho, like, whenever he... You could almost, like, write a template of how his tenure at a football club is going to go. Um, well, not necessarily the whole tenure, but as in you can almost write a template of how his, his end is going to go. As in he always complains about not having enough money to spend or not being able to sign a player. He almost always falls out with, like, a big player, like you said, Dav. I, and I don't know perhaps whether this is me just being a bit harsh, but I feel like Mourinho's very much lost his aura. Um... Do you feel like he needs Basically. to go to a more of a cult club in a sense, uh, a sort of middle of the ground? You know, like when he was at Porto and Inter, maybe mm. Inter were towards the top of the Italian league back then, but they were more salt of the earth in a sense. Mm. These are just tough, hard as nails guys, mm. no personality really about them. Do you think he needs to go back to a club like that? You know them all, Jack, do you? I mean... <laughs> yeah, personally, on a deep, on a I deep mean... level. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think... I don't know, it's a tricky one. I think part part of the problem is that I feel like football has changed a lot since Mourinho's Too many prima donnas. Well, not, not necessarily that, but as in, like, when you look at the type of football that's played now, when you look at the Bayern Munich team that won the, you know, the Champions League last year, you look at the Liverpool team that won the league in the Champions League the season before, is in it's all about kind of very fast, um, aggressive kind of football. You know, very much taking the game to the other team, whereas Mourinho's sort of philosophy is a lot more conservative. I don't know. I just feel like the game has kind of moved on, and like you look at Pep Guardiola's style of play, and you know, like it's been said this year that it is in like people have said, oh, you know, like Guardiola's adapted, as in like even you know they don't seem to have quite as much possession as they have done in the past, City, but as in this, they seem to be winning games consistently. Whereas I feel like Mourinho hasn't really adapted, as in, like, you know, we'll go on to this later, but it, it, he seems to have, like, a certain type of striker and the, the, they're kind of the focal point. Mm-hmm. Very so, sort of conservative style of play. And I, I just feel like football's moved on from that a little bit. Well, that's good. As in... Go on. Sorry. No, sorry, you finish. No, let you finish it. Well, and I, I don't know. I feel like when you look at... I'm not sure Mourinho would want to go to a club that's when you've won as much as Mourinho has what's the draw to go to a a, a lesser club then I guess because in a sense he he gets he gets full reign I think when when he's gone to these big clubs he's got guys like Ed Woodward Daniel Levy uh, Ronaldo uh, sort of deciding on his behalf (laughs) as what the club's going to do next yeah 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 you go to a I'm trying to think if there's maybe like a Roma or I think someone said Celtic. That would be an interesting one. Um, but you know what I mean? You go to one of those clubs which isn't genuinely that successful, particularly on the European stage at the moment. Um, give give him full reign to do what he wants and he could really get some sort of ethos going there perhaps. Without without want to fire a shot, is that not what Spurs are anyway? Um no, because I think they've got too much ambition. I don't think Celtic and uh, Roma have that much ambition. Uh, Celtic in particular, mm. they've just got to do well in Scotland. There's no... I don't think anybody judges them on their Champions League how far, whether they get out of the qualifying round for the start. But I don't think mm. anybody really judges them on that. 
uh, if I'm honest. Um, I would I would just like to say I feel like Spurs are better than Roma and Celtic. I just mean in terms of you know like you said how they haven't necessarily won silverware in a, in a, a lengthy yeah. amount of time. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. Talking about Mourinho's tactics though and his sort of over dependence on essential striker perhaps making him outdated uh, f- football's adapted over the years we at one stage had six strikers in teams then you mm-hmm. had Italian teams playing with five at the back and a sweeper because you need it mm-hmm. uh, then you got Christ total football and then Mourinho came along with a sort of defensive block and then Barcelona's tiki taka replaced that and now Klopp's Gagan Preston is replacing that do you not think that he he's just too stuck in his way do you think do you think he needs philosophically, in a sense, to change his style of football? Or do you think there is still a place for his uber-defensive tactics in the modern game? I was um, reading recently that I think... It, yeah, I think he has become outdated to the to the extent of, obviously, his tactics don't bring results in the way that they used to. But I was reading something recently no. in the way that he's really not a massive fan of sports science. So the whole sport, the, the whole okay. like sports science side of the game, um, you know, that's really been embraced in the last decade or so, hasn't it? Maybe, you know, going back further than that, mm. but especially in the last 10 years. Uh, and apparently when um, Solskjaer took over at United, like there was a lot of kind of re-establishing of that kind of thing to do because there just wasn't the data because... He, Mourinho didn't give that the time that a lot of other modern coaches do. Um, on, quickly on that point, I did read uh, at, since Mourinho's left, they did obviously loads on Spurs. Uh, they were talking about how the Spurs players were unhappy when Pochettino was there because he he was making them do loads and loads and loads of training sessions in a sense, get them as fit as possible probably on that sports science side of things. And when Mourinho came in, he wasn't having as many um, intense workouts, uh, at least, you know. So, so perhaps, uh, yeah, I see what you mean, but it's, it's carried on to Spurs as well as United, as you were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't know if... Yeah, you kind of get the impression now that these tacti- the tactics of generally, like, conservative hitting on the break... Like we do, for, I guess we do forget that they were top of the Premier League back in December. Mm. So, yeah, they're, it's they're not forget, completely useless tactics. Like, you know, <clears throat> he's not manager of Spurs for nothing. Yeah, but no. I just think those kind of tactics could maybe win you a Champions League or an FA Cup if more of a cup competition. If things go well for you, you yeah, because you've just got to execute that game plan a certain number of times in 90 minutes whereas over the course of a season it's a long time to um, you know to be able to continue mm. to do that again and again and teams work you out and that's obviously what happened wasn't it like it worked for them the first mm. half of the season and then most you work out how to play Spurs and beat them or just to negate their counter you know stop Son getting in behind and you, you go a long way to stopping stopping mm. Spurs despite the fact that you know any team with Harry Kane in it is going to... Harry Kane gets into any team and improves it, doesn't he? Like, in his finishing. Mm. But I, I think, you know... Ultimately, you you can't... You can't win a game with, like, mm. two good finishers and a, and a bus. 
<laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> I do think it's worth considering. I do think the standard for, you know, the, the top teams has been raised in the last couple of years. When you look at the points that, you know, Liverpool had last year, City had the two seasons before that, and Liverpool as well, come and run us up with like 97 points. You know, that's almost, an, well, it is unheard of. I think there's the most points by a runner-up ever. So, as in, I do think the standard has changed in terms of getting points. And I think, you know, when you look at Mourinho's philosophy, like, over the years, his results against the top teams, a lot of the time it was just a case of, like, just get a draw, just don't lose. Um, and I feel like now, if you, like, as, as a Liverpool fan, like, I remember looking back to, thinking back to last season, as in, not, not towards the end, because the, the gap kind of, grew but as in at the start of the season when you play in City it was almost like if you don't win this game that could be the league gone um, so Which I do think that stands that's a way to bring it full circle goodness <laughs> you got, you've, you've managed like an hour and 45 minutes in to do full circle right back to the start um, <laughs> no but I guess what I mean is then is that more of that incentive to kind of go out and get a game and get three points Rather than perhaps the more conservative style that we're used to from uh, Mourinho, when you know the standard is so high that winning or losing a game could potentially mean winning or losing the league. Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at Solskjaer, he just decided not to lose games against the top six. If he'd have gone out and won some of them, perhaps we're you know less yeah, than the eight or nine points behind City mm. that we actually are. Mm. Yeah, well, that, that I think. Should we should we leave it off there? Is anybody anything else anybody wants to say? But anything in particular? <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. I think that was a fairly uh, comprehensive uh, football chat. Really, there's a, I mean there was a lot to cover in this past week, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, quite a lot. I mean, what what a bizarre what a bizarre set of circumstances. As in, you know, when we set this uh, time in to record this podcast. I would never have thought that the European Super League would have both come and gone <laughs> in that time. Yeah. But uh, there we are. Short-lived. Um, short-lived. Dav, thank you for joining us once That's again. Okay. Thanks for having me, boys. Ple- pleasure to have the knowledge, as uh, as always. Um, as usual, we are on uh, YouTube and Spotify, so if you're listening on either of those, why not give us a, a follow or subscribe if you're watching on the YouTube um, we're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Anchor, Pocket Casts. Um, pretty sure that's all of them. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for the confirmation. Um, thank you all for listening, and we shall speak to you soon.